We are Crossroads Grace Church. Our purpose is to lead people to discover Jesus and follow Him fully. This week's message is taught by our teaching pastor, Brian Hunt. From wherever you're listening, we hope that you are challenged and encouraged by this week's message. Well, hey, Crossroads, how are you doing? Glad to see you here today. My name is Pastor Brian Hunt, and I am the lead pastor here. Honored that you would join us today. So wherever you might be joining us, especially online campus, we're great to have you with us here today. Do not forget that those chat hosts are there for you right now throughout the whole service to be able to connect with you, to pray with you, and to be able to answer any of your questions. So uh, feel free to use them at any point. Now, our mission at Crossroads is that we exist to lead people to discover Jesus and follow him fully. And so we want to help you take your next steps towards that end, towards Jesus, any way that we can do that. That's why we're here. In fact, in order for us to stay on mission as a church, we need to help more people discover Jesus. And I am super excited about what's happening next month. If you watched last week's message, then you're going to totally get this. But if you didn't, then I want you to go back. I want you to catch up. It's a message called Two Chairs and a Couch. Because what we said in there is that it's time. Like we are committed to helping people take their next steps towards God. And in order to do that, we are going to be bringing back our 1130 a.m. Sunday service. That's right. Here at our Manteca campus beginning March 18th and 21st weekend, we are going to be bringing back our 1130 service. Now, online campus, don't you worry. Nothing's going to be going anywhere. We're just going to be adding an 1130 service again so you guys can have that opportunity also. In addition to that, we are reopening all of our kids' classrooms from birth all the way through sixth grade. Now, I know some of you parents at home, you have some little ones right now. You've been waiting for this news and you are freaking out right now. So I know that you're like, it's about time. I get it. But in order for us to take these next steps, we need you. We need you to help us together advance the gospel. That's how we call our tag teams, our together advancing the gospel teams. Uh, there are three tag teams that, we are, that are essential to launching these services and reopening our classrooms. And they are our kids areas, our first impressions areas, and our production teams. So joining a tag team, it isn't a lifetime commitment. It's not like signing up for a timeshare somewhere where you can never get out of those bad boys. No, it is a commitment that you can make that will fit your schedule. And we're going to equip you. We're going to help you. We'll give you all the training, all the tools that you'll need in order to be successful on that team. So whether that's playing a game with a little kid or separate or maybe manning a, a camera here in the worship center or helping uh, all the great people that need a friendly smile as they walk through the doors, whatever it might be, there's a role for you. Maybe some of you don't live local. Maybe you live outside the area or maybe you are local, but you need to watch online because of your health concerns. And I get it. For, for whatever reason that might be, we want you to stay home and stay safe. We get it. And, and if that is you, though, then we want you, we have a, a particular team that we want you to join, and that team is the online chat host. We want you to sign up and be an online chat host from the comfort of your home. But there are some of you that are capable of stepping up, some that you might be able to open, be able to help us open our kids' classrooms and make sure that our safety measures are always on the top of our minds. But we're going to invite you to be a part of that, and we want you to sign up. And so signing up, guys, it is easy. In fact, I want you to do me a favor right now. Get your phones out. I know you've got them right now. Get your phones out. In all seriousness, pull out all those phones. You, you know that, that, that if you have it out right now, all you got to do from your comfy couch with your coffee is I want you to scan this QR code right here. Open up your camera, scan the QR code. I want you to be able to put it right there. And now I want you to tap on the link after you do that. 
And then there's a few simple steps that you have to go through in order to sign up and join a tag team. It's going to take you a, a, a few minutes. In fact, do it right now. Right now. Do it right now. I want you to fill it out. You just need your name, a contact information, and maybe a little bit about what you're interested in serving. And what you'll do is you're going to fill out that form. It's not a commitment. All you're doing is asking our staff to reach out to you, give you a little bit more information about an area to serve in, and we'll find a tag team for you. It's not that hard, right? Do it. Scan it right now. And here's the deal. Remember, we want to be in a chair one church. That's from the message from last week. We want to be in chair one. And we want to live on mission by using God's, given, God's gifts that he's given us and help to tell the world about Jesus. So sign up right now, today. Do not wait. Join us in this movement of, of living life on mission for Jesus and help more people discover Jesus and follow him fully. Because beginning March 18th and 21st, it's time. It is time for us to be back up and running full steam ahead with all of our services opportunities for all of our kids. And we want you to be a part of it. Fill this form out. Join a tag team. Be part of what's happening here at Crossroads. It is time and we want you to be a part of it. So as we get ready for the service today and we get ready for the sermon today, there is a buzzword concept that has been just buzzing around all year. And it's this idea is what is essential and what is non-essential? Right, we talk about it all the time, from nail salons to gyms to nursing homes to buffets. We've been trying to figure out and even lobbying for things to be essential so that they can reopen. And although we all have different thoughts on this, and I understand that, I think that all of us can agree on this. The DMV and IRS are non-essential. Am I right? Right. But, but this isn't really a new concept. The idea of things being essential is everywhere. There are products that call themselves essential in their names. You have essential oils. There's essential skin and hair products. There's even essential foods that you're supposed to eat. So no matter what we do, there seems to be this focus on what are the essential things in our life. With one exception. That is Target. Because when you go to Target to get the essentials, you leave with essentially everything in your cart. Don't you? I dare you to try to go to Target and not spend 100 bucks. I dare you, okay? But, but what about being a Christian? Are there essentials that we need to be aware of as believers in Jesus? And the answer is yes. There are things that as Christians we need to hold as essential. Things like the Bible and worship and generosity and prayer. These are crucial aspects of our life that we need in order to follow Jesus fully. And I know that this might sound strange especially in our postmodern world that we believe in. Because right now what we believe is what's right for you is right for you and what's right for me is right for me. Because we don't want to be told what to do. We don't. And this is the thought process that has trickled down to our kids. Which is why we want to, what do we say? I want to let my kids decide for themselves about God. I don't want to tell them what to believe. In fact, I'm not even going to tell them what we believe. I always find this parental attitude towards God just so funny. Because nowhere else in your life do you ever do that. We don't give our kids the option of whether they hop the fence and go pet the lions at the zoo. We, we don't give them the option of whether they go to elementary school or not. We don't give them the option to choose to stick a screwdriver in a light socket or not. But yet when it comes to the eternal destiny, de, eternal destiny of their souls, we take our hands off the wheel and we say, you decide, little Johnny, you decide. Well, guys, if we do that, of course, they're going to move away from God. Because if it doesn't matter to you, why should it matter to them? And if they have the choice to stay home and cram their face in a video game, they'll choose that every time. So this laissez-faire attitude towards God has created a spiritual drift 
in the generations. And more and more people are less interested in the, in the, in the things of God. They're less interested in the Bible. They're less concerned about spiritual things altogether. The things that we used to be able to assume everybody knew about God, my goodness, it's shrinking every day. We are replacing the essentials of the faith with the inessentials of the world. But, but what if we, instead of loading up our spiritual cart at Target with all those things that we don't need, what if we focused on the things that we do need? This is what essentials is all about. It's about focusing us back on what is important in our relationship with God. But before we get too far, we, we must actually remember something. We have to remember that everything that we do as a Christian is because of our love and our devotion to Jesus. These, these essential things that we'll talk about are only essential if we understand and believe the gospel message of Jesus. That, that we are sinners and we are separated from God because of them. That, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to save us from those sins. And that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we are offered forgiveness from all those sins by his grace. And through Jesus, and only by his grace, can we be saved. The Apostle Paul would say this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So, so this Jesus-centered gospel foundation is where we have to start. And then with that, we can then look at our first essential. And, and as we start, let me kind of take all of my fellow Christian folks on a little blast from the past. In fact, who, who remembers this song right here? Wait for it. Here it comes. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Right? <laughs> Try to get that out of your head today. You're welcome. All right, so the first area that we're going to look at is essential is the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. And as we talk about the Bible today, we're going to take a trip through lots of places in your Bible. So if you took the challenge and brought your Bible today, have that ready. I want you to open it up. We're going to be flipping all over the place with it. But we are going to land in one particular spot. So if you want to find this one landing spot, I'd love for you to do it. It's found in Acts chapter 8. So... If you have those Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 8. Online host, this is the time right now to put in the chat the link to the Bible for Acts chapter 8. Also put in the, the app information there also. And, uh, but if you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it up with me today to Acts chapter 8. But, but why is the Bible essential to us as a Christian? Okay, why is it? And the answer that I think we need to first answer, or the question we first have to answer is, like, what is the Bible? So on a practical level, the Bible is a collection of 66 books written over the course of about 1,500 years, recorded by 35 different authors. It's the best-selling book of all time, hands down, and it is also the most scrutinized book of all history. Yet it has been validated both historically and by archaeologists and by sociologists time and time again. But it's not a history book. It's not a science book. It's the words of God. It is God's word written through man to guide us back to him through his son, Jesus Christ. To, to show us how to live our life for him and to follow the Holy Spirit of God as we do. The, the writer of Hebrews would describe the Bible this way in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Now, reading that, let's be honest about something. 
when you read an article in ESPN, this doesn't happen. When you flip through your Pinterest board, this doesn't happen. No, no, only the Bible is able to cut to the very core of who we are, speak exactly to what we're going through. You could say that the Bible, as we read this, is surgical in its ability to identify exactly what we need to hear the most, what our problems are that we're going through. And what's amazing is that it won't just leave you wallowing in your mess and tell you to figure it out. That's not what the Bible does. No, it actually provides you answers on how to address it. Paul would say this in 2 Timothy. He would say this. He says that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So in God's word that we just read, in God's word, what we find is that you will not only be cut to the heart, but you can see how God can mend that very same heart back together. And of course, you may not like what it says. You you may not like what the cardiologist diagnosis is on what your treatment should be, but that's between you and God. But here's what is amazing about the God of the Bible. He gives you and I the freedom for a second opinion. Totally does. You know, like when you get a diagnosis for like a hammer toe or some, you know, crazy thing. Like you have the option to go and, and have somebody else take a look at that diagnosis. You can basically shop your diagnosis around to other doctors because that is your right as a patient. See, God gives us the very same freedom too. He just calls it free will. It allows you and I to choose to follow God's word or not. Which means that you and I, we could try to fix our problem in our life by our own thing or try whatever we want and, and God will wait. He's not going to stop you because he knows that once we've been honest with ourselves and we open our hearts, we're going to see that his way is best because he wants us to want him. And what we find as we read the Bible is that it is not so much about what we discover about it, but what we discover about ourselves. So today I really want you to chew on this one idea that we don't read the Bible. We let the Bible read us. Think about that today. But here's what we need to think about. As I was thinking about this, um, all that stuff that we've already mentioned is is great. But it really doesn't answer the question about what what makes the Bible essential. Right? Right? You know what I mean? Like what makes the Bible not just another book on our shelf or a podcast that we listen to like Dr. Phil or Chicken Soup for the Soul or The Minimalists or The Home Edit. Like why should the Bible be considered essential to someone that says that they want to follow God? And and here is where, if you aren't a Christian today, man, I'm so glad that you're with us here today. This might start to make sense to you too. Because you might be wondering that very same thing. Why do Christians care so much about the Bible? And the answer comes back to where we started. Jesus. The Bible is only essential if we see that Jesus thinks it is essential. Because if Jesus didn't care about it, why should we care about it? You know? But if Jesus did care about the Bible, then it would become essential for us as Christians who want to follow him fully. So let's look a little closer at that today. Um, as, as I said before, the Bible has 66 books in it, broken into two big sections. It's called the Old Testament, which has 39 books in it, written long before Jesus was alive. And the New Testament, which has 27 books, which are written during Jesus's life and after he was gone. But it's important to realize how Jesus interacted with these texts to see if, in fact, it is an essential thing that we need to do. Because what some people will say, especially about the Old Testament, is that it is just that. It's old. That's outdated. It's so old that we don't need to do it anymore. What we really need to focus on is the New, the New Testament. In other words, let's just get to the Jesus stuff and forget about all that other stuff. 
But when we rush past, when we rush to the new, we lose sight of how much Jesus actually talked about the old. So, so to prove that, let's consider these three brief points about Jesus and the Old Testament. Number one I want us to think about is that Jesus quoted the Old Testament when he taught. You'll find around 92 times or so in the Bible where Jesus or his disciples would use this phrase. And they would say, it is written as they taught. And the it was written that they were referring to was the Old Testament. And Jesus quoted the Old Testament around a little over 80 times. And his favorite book to quote was Psalms. And Jews, they actually group the Old Testament a little bit differently than we do. And, and they call it the Jewish Old Testament. The way that they group it is that they have 22 books instead of our 39. Same material, just grouped a little bit differently. But what's amazing to see is that in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about it and his disciples, they reference events in 18 out of the 22 books of the Jewish Bible. It's crazy. And then there's this little cool nugget found in Matthew chapter 23, verse 5. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 5 says, And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Now you might say it's kind of weird. It's kind of an odd passage to refer to, Pastor B. But, but what I want you to notice is what Jesus just did. In, that, in this one scripture, one sentence, he verified every book of the Jewish Old Testament. Check out how he did it. He says that he talks about the blood that's been shed on earth from the blood of the righteous Abel. Now, where we hear about Abel being talked about is in the book of Genesis. And Genesis is the first book of the Bible. But then he also talks about how the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, was shed. And this is found in what book? In the book of Chronicles. ...in the Jewish Old Testament, which is the very last book. So what Jesus just did in one sentence is that he used the entire Old Testament in one sentence. From Genesis all the way to Chronicles, the entire Jewish Old Testament. Pretty cool. Now, but the second thing though is this. Is that Jesus actually validates the stories of the Old Testament... So as we've seen, Jesus used the Old Testament a great deal during his ministry. But he also validates the authenticity of some of those stories that some people want to play off as like folklore or just kind of fake. You know, like Jonah and the fish. Like seriously, are you trying to convince me that a guy can really stay alive in a fish three days? Come on. Right? Or, or what about Noah and the ark? Really? A guy built a big boat, put all the animals on it and they survived? Are you kidding me? Adam and Eve... You really want me to believe that God created man and woman. Moses, you think that I believe that this guy really did all those miracles in the desert? Come on, dude. Well, let's just consider just a couple. How about Jonah? Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this. The sinful people of this day look for something special to see. There will be nothing special to see, but the powerful works of the early preacher, early preacher Jonah... Jonah was three days and three nights in the stomach of a big fish. The son of man will be three days and three nights in the grave also. Jesus talks about Jonah. Hey, what about Moses or, or Noah? How about Noah? Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, it says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be coming of the son of man. So Jesus doesn't just quote the Old Testament. He validates it by confirming what was written. Which also leads us to the third thing that we need to consider, though. And the third thing is that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. 
Because it's one thing to quote it. It's another thing to validate it. But you know what? The Old Testament said a lot about this Messiah that was going to be coming. And Jesus said he was the Messiah. In fact, the whole Old Testament is about pointing to the Messiah. So was Jesus a great historian? Or was he actually the Messiah that the Old Testament spoke about? I mean, just as a reminder, the Old Testament was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever was born. It's filled with prophecies, which are things that were said by God, telling about what things are going to happen in the future. And many of these prophecies pointed to a Savior, Messiah, that would come and save the world from their sins. Jesus actually speaks to this. Uh, look what Jesus says uh, to his disciples after his resurrection in, in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, what we'll find, it says that uh, this is what I told you while I was with, still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So Jesus just said that he would fulfill what? Everything. He'd fulfill everything that the Old Testament spoke about him. But did you know that in Jesus' ministry, he fulfilled 300 prophecies spoken about him. 300. Now, the statistical probability of this is mind-bending if you think about it. And, and I want you to consider a famous study that was actually done on this. And what they did is they actually just took eight of the prophecies. Eight of the prophecies that were spoken in the Old Testament. And they figured out what would be the probability if one person fulfilled just all eight of these. And what they found out is that the odds would be one to ten to the 17th power that one person could do that. In other words, that is, ten, that is one with 17 zeros after it. Now, the, the statisticians that worked on this said it, was, it would be like this. It would be like filling the entire state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars. Silver dollars. And we take the silver dollar and we mark an X on it. And then we drop it down in the state of Texas. We somehow mix up the entire state of Texas, filled with silver dollars, two feet deep. And then we blindfold one person, let them wander anywhere they want to in that entire state. And then at one point we ask them to pick it up out of the ground, blindfolded, and pick up a one coin. And the chances of them picking up the one marked coin in all the others is one to the 10 to the 17th power. And that is just for... Eight of them. Jesus fulfilled three, three hundred of them. Three hundred of them. And so you might be saying, okay, that's great. That's great. But Old Testament, you got me on that, Pastor B. What about the other part of the Bible? You know, there's two parts. What about this whole New Testament part? Which is really important to ask. It's a really important question to ask. Because the natural question would be, how could Jesus talk about something that was happening while he was living and also after he was gone? Fair question. Jesus speaks to that too. Um, as author Norman Geisler would once said, he said that while Jesus confirmed the Old Testament, he promised the New Testament. And the way that Jesus could promise this was because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity of God promised by Jesus before he ascends back into heaven. And the Holy Spirit guides and inspires the writers of the New Testament to capture Jesus's life as well as the words that God wanted for the early church to be able to pass on to the world. Now, Jesus would say this in, in John chapter 16. He would say, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, 
The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. And the proof that this actually happened comes from the words of the apostles. And the apostles were, in order to be apostle, you had to have been with Jesus, saw the resurrection. You must have performed miracles and that were done by the Holy Spirit. And then also they ended up writing the New Testament. And Paul, writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, he states it best in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says this, and he says, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. I mean, all this points to, all this points to the fact that Jesus saw all parts of God's word, the New and the Old Testament, as essential. None more obvious, none more obvious than John chapter 1, where we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We should see the Bible as essential because it is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He was the one that we just read that was in the beginning and he's going to be there at the very end too. The whole thing is about him. But, but, even Jesus says we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we don't lose sight of what the word of God is truly about. Listen really closely to what Jesus says in John chapter 5. He says, you study the scriptures diligently Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Now this is a staggering statement. Because who do you think the you is in all these things that he's talking about? Who is the you? The you is the religious people. It's all the religious people. In in our day and age this might even be the Christians. It means that you can lose sight of why we read the Bible if you're not careful. Why it is so essential. It is not to beat people over the head with it and and bloody them into belief. It's not just to read and consume so you have a ton of spiritual calories but you never do anything with it. It's not to twist and to turn to make it say whatever you want to match your cultural or political or personal beliefs. No, No, no. It's there to point us to Jesus. It's essential to show us how far from God that we really are in our sin and how amazing Jesus is and his grace. The whole thing, whole thing is about Jesus. But but let me explain this to you just one last way in a powerful story that we find in the Bible. And that's where you've been holding that whole time. Acts chapter 8, I want you to flip open right there. I want you to listen to the story. It says in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandika, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stand near it. 
Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Man, that's so powerful. A, a man reading the Bible on the side of the road was, was reading it. He just wasn't sure about what it all meant. All of a sudden, Philip, who's a follower of Jesus, he, he hops up in the chariot, starts to explain what it means. And, and what, he, what he says is that, what he, he describes to this guy, he says, listen, it's all about Jesus. Everything you're reading, it's all about Jesus, which is why this man's life was never the same. And neither was his eternity. Because the Bible is powerful. Guys, can we see that, that we don't read the Bible? We let the Bible read us. The whole thing is about Jesus. And throughout our entire life, we will need to return to it over and over and over. We will never be able to say, you know what? I've mastered this Bible thing. Because the second that we do, we have just shown that we have no idea what it teaches. So it is essential to learn and to grow, to find out more about how amazing Jesus is. And then so we can know what to do next. That's right. God expects us to do something with this. I, I love the New King James Version of James 1.22 that says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Guys, we must be careful that we aren't just paying God lip service with this either. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm good, God. Jesus would say it this way in Matthew. Matthew chapter 15. Jesus says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, a true doer of the word will constantly be trying to align their life more with Jesus all the time. It's not lip service it's what they're doing with their life. And they will find that the Bible is an endless well of challenge and encouragement and refinement because, because we don't read the Bible. We let the Bible read us. It's powerful. It's important. Um, now, uh, twice in my life, which you might make fun of me, twice in my life, I've actually um, lost my Bible. Um, the, the, the second time actually was more recently. I was actually here in, uh, in California. Someone broke into my car at Target. They stole my backpack, which had my Bible in it. It made news in Sacramento. I was dumpster diving. I was trying to find it anywhere I could. Still have yet to find that Bible. And so this Bible that I use this whole sermon is actually my, my Bible that I, uh, I had replaced my other one with. It does smell like a baseball glove, so that's good. But, um, but that's, that's the second time. But, but the first time was kind of interesting. 
Uh, you see, this, uh, this Bible right here is, is the Bible that I had since I was, goodness gracious, I don't know, uh, 10 or 11 years old. I, I've had it a really, really long time. There's still sermon notes from the small church that I was at in South Dakota. I still got all kinds of stuff in here and I would use this all the time. Took this to, 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 uh, to college with me. Uh, it's got the leather binding to it. The zipper's broken. But if you remember back in the day, this is, this is the big thing to have. And so um, this is my Bible. Uh, but I remember when I was, uh, I brought it to, to school and I was, I, was, uh, I was dating Cherie at the time. Cherie's my wife now. I remember dating Cherie and about December hit and sure enough, I lost my Bible. I couldn't find my Bible anywhere. It's like the beginning of December. Um, and I was freaking out because I, like, I love this thing. And so I, I didn't know what to do. Um, well, well, it came time for Christmas and, and sure enough, Cherie and I were, were exchanging presents and I opened up my present um, and inside there was, uh, was this. Um, and this is the, the Bible that Cherie gave me. Um, she had taken my Bible and then she had gone through a new Bible and she had underlined everything, um, everything that I had underlined in my Bible. Um, she wrote little notes to me and uh, uh, it was one of the coolest things I've ever gotten in my life. And, and what's interesting about that is that um, I never really could see how important the Bible was going to be for us. Um, you see, we, we've had to read this a lot. Um, this Bible has got us through infertility. It's got us through the first years of marriage. It's got us through uh, illnesses. It's got us through tough times in our marriage. Tough times as parents. Tough times as just people. We would read this before we go to bed. I would read this over my daughter when she was in the NICU. I would read it over my son when he was first born. I would read it at funerals. I would read it at weddings. And, and this Bible means so much because the more that I read it, the more that I know I got a long way to go. But this Bible, whatever version you want, means more to me than I could probably ever, ever tell you. Because in here, I hear about life. I hear about Jesus. I hear about through him that all things are possible, that with him nothing is impossible. I hear about how he loves me and he cares for me. I hear about his wrath, about how if we aren't in line with him, what happens. I hear about heaven and hell. I hear about all these things. And I, I just hear the still small whisper that, of the Holy Spirit reminding me that he's always going to be with us. But that's through, it's through being in here. And this is what's going to sustain my family, my life, my kids. Because in here is the word of life. It's essential to my family. It's essential to me. I pray it's essential to you. Because as we prepare our hearts for communion, what we read in this Bible is that God loved us so much that he was sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That famous John 3.16 echoes in really the halls of the world, but only the few actually receive and understand what it means. But at communion, we get a chance to do that, to remember what Jesus did for us, to remember that he loved us. And remember that in this Bible, in this word, is the gift of life that he gives us through his grace. So as we prepare our hearts for communion now, I would ask that you would ask yourself where you're at with him, 
and that you would take the time to let the Bible read you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I'm overwhelmed with your love and your grace. I'm overwhelmed that you would love us enough to be able to, uh, to show us how to live. And so, Father, I just pray right now for my friends around the country, around the world, that you would be with them as they consider how essential the Bible is. We didn't even talk about the, the lengths to which the Bible, to even have the Bible that we read today, the lengths that were taken in order to even get it into a, into a, a process that we could read it is amazing. But God, I just pray that we would, we would see it as important because Jesus, you did. You validated it. You quoted it. You, you proved it, God. And so Jesus, I just pray that you would work on all of us right now. Work on our hearts, work on our minds, work on our souls. Help us to prepare our hearts now for communion and to remember how much you love us. Jesus, it's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. If you've discovered Jesus and this ministry has helped you follow him fully, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give through our Crossroads app or at crossroadsgrace.org give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Now go and follow him fully.